It is good to see you all. My name is Jamie, one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and my privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. We'll pick up where we left off last Lord's Day. If you don't have a Bible, there is a black one provided for you in the pew in front of you. Grab that one and you'll find Luke 12 on page 871, bottom right-hand corner. We'll be reading from verse 35 down to 48. I'll read it. I'll pray for the Lord's help on our time together. And then we'll get to work working our way through this passage. Here at Pickle Baptist, we believe the Bible is true and that its truthfulness is attested to in many different ways. In the majesty of its style, in the harmony of all of its parts, in the scope of the whole giving glory to God. And many other incomparable excellencies in God's word, when properly understood, gives abundant evidence that what we are about to read is truly the word of God. And so to that word we now turn. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 35. Hear now the word of the Lord. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us? Or for all. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if the master says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, Begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink, get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Let's pray.
We believe in God the Father and His most holy Son and the Holy Spirit. And we ask now that you would grant to us, your people, your Holy Spirit. To take what is of Jesus and to declare it to us. To show us what this means. And to give us understanding that we may keep these words. Father, I pray that this message would be of some help to your chosen people. Both an encouragement and a conviction. I pray, Lord, that this word would be used fruitfully in our lives. That we would be rooted and grounded in your love. That we would bear fruit from our time spent together in this word. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' praise. The Pickle Baptist said, Amen. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Romans 13, 11 and 12. The life of Joseph in the book of Genesis is one of the most beautiful stories ever written. It's a lesson in faith and faithfulness, a lesson in patience and steadfastness amid the most dire of circumstances. More than anything else, the story of Joseph teaches us about the faithfulness of our God who never forgets his own. As a young man, Joseph gets dreams. And the meaning of those dreams isn't much liked by his siblings. And so they sell their brother into slavery, as one does. And Joseph is taken to Egypt, where he becomes a slave to a wealthy Egyptian named Potiphar. And as a slave, Joseph trusts in the Lord and works fruitfully and faithfully for his master. Potiphar notices Joseph's faithfulness, notices that the Lord is with Joseph and puts Joseph in charge of his whole household. Well, Potiphar is not the only one who notices Joseph. The Bible says that Joseph is handsome in appearance, which is, I guess, I guess that's why I relate to him so much. Joseph is noticed by Potiphar's wife, who makes a move on him. And Joseph refuses her advances and then gets falsely accused of seducing her and Potiphar throws him in jail. And while he's in jail, Joseph continues to trust in the Lord and he is faithful in the jail and the Lord prospers him. The warden sees his faithfulness and puts him in charge of the whole prison. While Joseph is running the prison, Pharaoh gets a dream which no one can interpret. And then someone in the palace who used to be an inmate remembers that Joseph can interpret dreams. So Joseph is brought before Pharaoh and God gives him the interpretation. And then Pharaoh puts Joseph over his whole household. The story of Joseph is a reminder to trust the Lord in every situation. To remain faithful to the Lord in whatever situation the Lord has placed you. 
The story teaches us to be good servants. No matter what our particular situation. It teaches us to wait on the Lord. That God will make things right. In his way and in his time. And the story of Joseph is a real life example of what Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 12. The Lord has been teaching us a lot about money and possessions. And he continues to build upon that teaching in the passage before us. Here he teaches us to be good servants. To be attentive servants. To be faithful servants. And the Lord likens his followers to servants. Those who have been entrusted with the care of his household. And they must be watchful and they must be faithful and they must be wise. But here also the Lord exposes a problem that is common to all men. And so as we're working our way through this passage, dear ones, search your heart and see if any of this wickedness dwells within you. The Lord here exposes carelessness regarding eternal things. The Lord exposes foolishness in the human heart, wastefulness. The Lord exposes that there are many who have little fear of God, little forethought to judgment. All of which leads to an overall infatuation with temporal things like comfort and pleasure and a neglect of the stewardship that we have before God. Here's the big idea this morning. The loyal servant who does his master's will shall receive a blessing. So be watchful. Be faithful and be wise. The loyal servant who keeps his master's will shall receive a blessing from the master. So be watchful, be faithful, and be wise. This passage appears in two parts. Verses 35 to 40 teach us to adopt, as servants of God, they teach us to adopt a posture of attentiveness. A posture of attentiveness. And the verses 41 to 48 teach us to adopt a posture of faithfulness. So adopt a posture of attentiveness and of faithfulness. Before we get to the first verse, I would like to consider a notion which underlines this whole passage. And that is this. Jesus Christ likens himself to the master of a house. He likens his servants, us, as servants in that house. And then he says, each one of us must give account to him for how we served. He's the master of the house. We are the servants of the house. And one day when he returns, we will give an account to him for how we lived before the face of God. The word translated in this section of scripture as servant appears a bunch of times in the New Testament, 126 times, seven times in the passage before us. 
In most of your Bibles, most of the English translations of your Bibles, this very word appears as either servant, sometimes it appears as bond servant, other times it appears as the word slave, depending on the context. Now, you should know that New Testament slavery is quite different than the kind of slavery that most of us are familiar with, the 19th century chattel slavery. Very different. In Jesus' day, slavery was often best understood as a bond servant kind of service. Someone was bound to another, a master, for a period of time to, say, pay off a debt or something. Well, that doesn't mean that life as a slave in the Greco-Roman world was easy. But a slave may own property. A slave may have social achievement, um, advancement. A slave may purchase his or her freedom. The social reality that is assumed by Jesus in this text is that he is the master of the house. We, his followers, are his servants who work in the house. And his servants have been entrusted with a stewardship over his house. And that we are responsible before him for how we cared for and managed what belonged to him. We are servants before the face of God. Now, you may have heard of this Latin phrase, quorum Deo, before. It means before God, or in the presence of God, or before the face of God. It's actually a phrase that's drawn from Psalm 56, verse 13, where we read, For you, God, have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So as those who, by God's grace, have been delivered from eternal death, deserved by sin, we have been given the privilege to walk before God, Coram Deo, in the light of life. We have been given a stewardship, a place in the household of God as his happy servants doing his will. Not as a repayment of some debt, but no, as those who have been freed from debt, who live joyfully in the service of the one who paid it all. And the point that we must make here is that each one of us live quorum Deo, before the face of God. That you and I will one day give an account to God for how we lived as a servant before him. One day the Lord Jesus Christ will return to the earth. And when he does, he will judge the earth. And we seek, by God's grace, to be found faithful, doing the Master's will, as Pastor Matt prayed earlier, when he comes. Oh, but many dangers face us. The biggest and worst dangers of all are the ones that are within. And so here the Lord warns us, of the danger of carelessness, the danger of unfaithfulness, the danger of spending his resources on our pleasures while neglecting to do his work. And so as we work our way through this passage, may the Lord give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us in these verses. Let's read verses 35 to 38 again and pray the Lord would grant to us the posture 
of attentiveness. This is verse 35 to 38 again. The Lord says, stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So they may they open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Jesus says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. And he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third, he finds them awake. Blessed are those servants. That phrase, the beginning of verse 35, stay dressed for actions, is literally gird up your loins. We might say roll up your sleeves, man up. In Jesus' day, men wore tunics, long tunics that went to their ankles, and they wore a belt over those tunics. And this tunic would make running particularly difficult. It would make physical labor cumbersome. So to gird up the loins meant they would hoist the tunic up above their knees and they would gather the excess fabric in front of them and they would pass it behind their legs and around their hips and they would pass it around and tie it in front or tuck it into their belt, literally girding up their loins. This way they would be dressed for action, ready to move at a moment's notice. And Jesus says, this is the posture of the servant of Christ, always ready to work, always ready to do the master's bidding. Because the servant didn't know when the master might call, he or she must be ready at all times. A servant doesn't clock in and clock out. They're a servant. It's who they are. It's what they do. They must stay on their feet. Jesus furthermore says, keep your lamps burning. It essentially means the same thing. This is, of course, the days before electricity and light came from lamps. And keeping your lamps burning was a way of saying, keep the lights on. This way you're not fumbling around in the dark trying to light your lamp when the master calls. And throughout this passage, the Lord is teaching us to live before the face of of God in the light of his soon coming return. So he says, be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so they may open the door to him at once when he comes. This is the posture of the loyal servant, attentiveness. Weddings in the first century weren't like the weddings that we have today. They, they would last many days, several days. And so when a master would leave to go attend a wedding, it wasn't exactly clear when the master would come home. And the servants must be ready for when the master comes home at any time. If the master was delayed, it didn't matter. Remain faithful. It's, he's the master. It's his time. And when he arrives, the servants must be prepared to open the door and let him in. The servants of Christ must be ready, have a steady eye on the door for when the master calls, be ready any time he needs them. So dear Christian, you may have an off day here and there, but you do not have a day off. The apostle Paul forbids drunkenness in his servants for this very reason. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is, and Paul's word is, debauchery. The word means wasteful. 
dissipation. Drunkenness is unfitting a Christian because it purposefully makes that Christian useless in the service of the master. It intentionally impedes God-given faculties which ultimately do not belong to us, ultimately were not given for us, but ultimately given for his service in his kingdom. So any substance that we put into our bodies which unnecessarily hinders our usefulness in the kingdom is sin. So this includes alcohol. It also includes marijuana. Prescription drugs when they're misused. Because drunkenness inhibits our ability to think clearly and to act soberly. And the Bible says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Besides, how do you know, dear Christian, after you've had a little too much, whether a brother or sister may call and ask for prayer? You pop a pill or you take an edible and you seek to relax after a long day. And then what if an unbelieving friend calls? His wife has just left him. They got in a huge fight. His wife has left him. And you have a hard time stringing your thoughts together in order to share the hope of the gospel with your unbelieving friend. Or how do you know, sister, whether you might get a phone call on a Friday night after you're just chilling and she's calling saying, just crippling anxiety, please pray for me. And you're having a hard time putting your thoughts together. So drunkenness just simply takes you out of the game. It is wasteful and renders you useless in the kingdom. And dear Christian, you are not your own. Your faculties are not your own. The time you have is not your own. It belongs to the one who paid it all. Additionally, drunkenness, whatever kind it is, prevents you from receiving the massive benefits of being used by the Lord when he calls. Just look at verse 37 and 38 again. This is just remarkable. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Look what Jesus says he'll do. The master will dress himself for service and have the servants recline at table. And the master will come and serve the servants. Apparently, Jesus wants us to be a woke church. But not woke in the way you mean. Woke in the sense of awareness that the master is coming at an hour you do not expect. He mentions the second or the third watch, meaning the nighttime. Right before dawn, perhaps? The loyal servant's posture of attentiveness means keeping an eye out the window, looking for the master to return. And the blessing of God is upon those who stay awake. And this blessing is almost unbelievable. This would never happen. In the first century, no regular master would participate in such a role reversal. Oh, but this is no regular master. This is the Christ of God. 
Jesus says the blessing for being awake when he comes is that he will serve the servants. The master will dress himself for service and the servants will recline at his table. And he will serve them. This is astonishing. But this is the blessing I want for you, dear Christian. Those blessed servants whom the master found in a state of readiness are rewarded, and I want that reward for you. For those servants, the master's homecoming was a joyful celebration. But notice, for those servants who were unprepared, who were not alert, the master's homecoming feels more like a robbery. Look at verse 39 and 40. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broke into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus changes the illustration to make this point. A thief does not announce his coming. If he did, he'd be met with pitchforks and loaded pistols. And neither has the Lord announced the time of his return. And so his people must be ready at all times. And so ask yourself, dear Christian, are you ready for the return of Christ? Do you think much about the return of Christ? Did you know that the second coming is mentioned 318 times in the New Testament? One out of 25 verses mentions the second coming. One out of every 25 verses in the New Testament. And yet many of us think more about fishing and football, gardening and fashion than we do about the second coming of our Lord and Savior. We, we pray that God would grant us grace, that we would live before the face of God anticipating the return of our Lord. And we pray that by God's grace, He would grant to us to be found faithful when He comes. In the second half of this passage, the Lord exposes four types of servants. The faithful servant, the foolish servant, the negligent servant, and the ignorant servant. And this next bit of teaching is prompted by a question. Let's pick up reading in verse 41. Peter asks, Lord, are you telling this parable for everyone, for just for us? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give him their portion of food at the proper time? It is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And truly I say to you, I will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, well, the master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come at a day he does not expect him, at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. 
that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did know, or did not know, but did what deserved a beating, he'll receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So Peter asks, hold up, Jesus. Who are you talking to now? Are you talking to everybody? Are you talking to us? And Jesus answers in the most classic Jesus way and says, yes. Peter's question is answered by a parable. What does a parable mean? Jesus tells another parable. Classic Jesus. Four, services, or four servants are outlined in the passage that follows. First, Jesus mentions the faithful and wise servant. Jesus, the master, set him over his whole household to manage his servants. So he's like Joseph in Potiphar's house. In Greek culture, a manager was one who assigned the duties to the other servants in the household. He would make sure that the servants got paid. He would make sure that the master's goods didn't get misused. He would make sure that everybody got their goods at the right time. The faithful and wise manager is blessed when the master returns and finds that servant doing what that servant was supposed to be doing. And the reward for faithfulness in the master's house, Jesus says, is more authority. He's going to put him in charge of all his possessions. When the master comes and finds him doing his will, Jesus says he's going to send him over all his possessions. The Bible says, if you're faithful in a little, then you'll be faithful in a lot. Then Jesus envisions a different kind of servant, the opposite kind of servant. This is the foolish servant. He senses his master's delay, and in his master's delay, begins to beat his fellow slaves. He begins to eat his master's food. He begins to drink his master's wine, and he gets drunk. He does not fear his master. He does what he wants. Notice in Jesus' description, he speaks to himself. You remember this from earlier in chapter 12 when the rich fool spoke to himself? Well, this man does the same thing. He's going to live his life his way, speaks to himself, decides to do what seems right to him. And he spends his master's goods on his own comforts, on his own pleasures. And he treats his master's servants harshly. Now behold the tragic fate that awaits such a servant. Verse 46, Jesus says the master of that servant will come when he doesn't expect it. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Judgment is strong and swift. His position is taken away from him. His life is taken away from him. He's hacked into pieces and put with the unfaithful. If, you, if you've been following along with us in the church's one-year Bible reading plan, last week you read of the only other place in the Bible where this sort of thing is mentioned, when the prophet Samuel hacks into pieces the wicked, evil king Agag. The unfaithful servant is like the man or the woman who does not fear God who has no concern whatsoever for God's glory, who thinks little of God and thinks about God little. 
And they share the same fate. Now, I, I don't like talking about hell. But it is a very real place. And Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. And you really don't want to go there. Friend, if you're not a Christian, verse 46 is your inescapable future. God sees your life, and if you are like this unfaithful servant, living your life however you want, you will share this unfaithful servant's judgment. But here's the thing. Everyone in this room is like this unfaithful servant. But the Bible says those who turn to Jesus Christ in faith, like Emily did, those who are repenting of their sins, those who are turning from their sins and turning to Jesus for mercy will receive that mercy. They will be pardoned of their sins. That when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he suffered the penalty and punishment of this unfaithful servant. He was counted among the unfaithful. But Jesus had no sin. So when they took him down from the cross and laid him in the grave, God raised him from the dead three days later. The Bible teaches that all who turn to Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins, asking for mercy, receive mercy from him. That their sin went on him and his righteousness goes on them. And now they stand before God fully and wholly righteous. Friend, if you've never repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ, do that today. Don't leave this place still in your sin. You cannot escape, verse 46. You cannot run as fast as you can. You won't escape it. And if you want to know more about what it's like to follow Jesus and to receive forgiveness and to be granted the righteousness of Christ, ask anyone who looks like a Christian. Whoever brought you to church today, ask them. I know them. They would be willing to sit down with you and read the Bible with you and tell you more about the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. Well, the Lord envisions two more kinds of servants in this passage, the neglectful servant and the ignorant servant, verse 47 and 48. And that servant who knew his master's will but didn't do it, he'll receive a severe beating. But the one who didn't know his master's will and he did what deserved a beating, He'll receive a lighter beating. So here we learn that judgment is according to knowledge. The judgment is according to knowledge. The more a servant knows of his master's will, the more serious the judgment for disobeying his master's will. But notice, if you will, that ignorance is no excuse. Sin is still sin, whether it's committed with knowledge or with ignorance. That while there are gradations in the judgment based upon knowledge... God is just, and sin, all sin, will be judged justly. Jesus says, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So this is the answer to Peter's question. Is this for us, or is this for everyone? And Jesus says, 
It's for you. It's for everyone, and especially for you. God has given a stewardship to all of us to leverage our lives for his glory. And those of us here who have been in church, been in the Bible for many years, the greater our knowledge, we will be judged more strictly. Those who have been in the Lord longer have had a greater exposure to the glories of Christ. They've had greater time to ponder the wickedness of their sin and appreciate the treasures of God's grace. Those who have been in the Lord longer ought to have a greater sensitivity to their own failings and a greater patience with the failings of others. And so, Christian, you've heard me say this before. Do not disdain getting older. What will be the state of your heart after two or three decades more basking under the glories of Christ in the gospel? What treasures will you uncover in a couple thousand more hours spent studying Holy Scripture? What tenderness will God's Spirit weave into your heart? What responsiveness to the slightest breeze of the movement of the Spirit of God? What fluency in the dialect of encouragement will the Lord lace into your life? Oh no, my brother, sister. Heed the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. To whom much is given, much is required. And that brings us to our final point. That those who have been long in Christ, who have grown in their knowledge of him, will be judged more strictly. And so, to Christ, they must cling all the more tightly. And that in and of itself is a blessing. And the oldest Christians ought to have the firmest grip. Who is the faithful and wise manager whose master will find doing his will? It's a good question. The psalmist has an answer. Psalm chapter 12, verse 1, the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. It's like that scene in Revelation chapter 5 where the mighty angel cries out with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And a great search goes out and no one in heaven or in earth or under the earth is found worthy. And John the revelator begins to weep bitterly that no one has been found worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And then one of the elders comes to John and says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. You see, there is one who has been found worthy, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Christ. Christian. Christ is the one to whom you must cling 
Stay ever closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews says, consider Jesus who was found faithful. Jesus always did what was pleasing to the Father. He always kept to the Father's commands. He accomplished the work that God gave him to do. Jesus is the faithful and wise servant. And you, dear Christian, who were foolish and unfaithful by God's grace, have been united to Christ, and his faithfulness is counted as yours. He was faithful in God's house, not as a servant, but as a son. He's the greater Joseph, to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given. And since you are in him, you can walk as the faithful and wise servant that God credits you with being. You, Christian, have been filled with the Spirit of God. You can lean on Him. You can cling to Him. You can live sober-minded. You can live self-controlled. You can be dressed for action. Your lamps can be lit, burning bright in full anticipation and expectation of the Lord's soon-coming return. You can keep your eyes on the horizon, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory and of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Fear God, church. Fear him. And you won't be caught unprepared. And the return of Christ won't feel like a thief in the night. No, the return of Christ will be like a bridegroom coming for his bride. So be watchful. Be faithful. Be wise. For Jesus is coming soon. And when he does... May you hear his glorious words, which are saved for all who have loved his appearing. Well done, good and faithful servant. For you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Father God, Lord of all mercies, we appeal to you through your son, Jesus, who is our Lord and our Savior, who is our soon coming King. And we ask, O oh Father, that you would look upon your son, his righteousness, his cross, the benefits of his sacrifice, and have mercy on us. Lord, we have been unfaithful. We've been neglectful. We've been unwise. We've played the fool. We've wasted our lives on comforts and pleasures and things that do not matter or last. We've played fast and loose with your resources and we confess it before you now. Look upon Jesus and having been baptized into him, please forgive us. Would you make us faithful and wise managers of your household? Would you grant us joy and strength in serving you as your servants this week? Lord, increase our faith to trust you in times of affliction, loss, suffering. Please wrap your hands around ours as we take hold of your son. And might we cling to him and rest in him and rejoice in him and lay our whole lives before him for he is worthy of no less. Amen. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon at the end of our services. 
We search God's holy scripture for an assurance that he has pardoned those who have repented of their sins and are trusting in him. And if you are truly repentant, trusting in Christ, then Hebrews 10, 22 is true of you, and this is your assurance of pardon. Let us, dear Christian, draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful.